Hi, I'm Karina. I'm the Music Ministry Director at Every Nation Auckland City. We are a multicultural, multi-generational, socially responsible church that makes disciples. We hope this message inspires you to honour God and make disciples. Lying, stealing, rage, abuse. No, this is not the urban household. This is the description that Paul brings for the church in Ephesus. This is not people late on a Saturday night in town filled with alcohol. This is Christians in a local church. It's recorded in the Bible by way of a little letter, yet little but yet powerful letter about this church who are stealing from one another, lying to each other, having rage. I mean, that's pretty intense, isn't it? Imagine some good old-fashioned rage in the cafe after the meeting today. I mean, we might think we have a few issues. This church was straight up having major, major problems, and Paul wrote about it for the whole world to read about for us to learn from. It's the church in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. It's derelict. It's filled with ruins right now. But back in the day, it was kind of a New York of its time. Commercial life was busting, social life. I mean, it was happening, man. I mean, everything was going on, shows. It was just people, multicultural, bustling, progressive, cosmopolitan city. This was not some backwater town in the middle of Taranaki. This was Ephesus, and in the middle of this was a church. And what was happening was the culture of the culture, the, 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 the culture of society was creeping into the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. And it was kind of hard to tell the difference between outside the church and inside the church. And Paul's trying to put everything right. And and he identifies what's going on. They're lying. They're actually stealing from each other. Like, can you please look after your possessions today? The person beside you, we're just not too sure about, okay? We know you've got good character and you're an honest person, but the person behind you, they're pretty dodgy. Paul takes us right back. He takes us back to the blueprint of church. And we all have our own preconceived ideas of church, what church should be, what it looks like. We've all probably got some scars on us from how church didn't go so well. And we're not perfect and no church actually is. But we strive to be the best we can. And I want us to look at what Paul says, how Paul responds to all this craziness in the church. All right, sound good? It's continuing on from last week. So let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 23. And I'm going to camp out a New Living Translation. It's, it's pretty accurate with its language. It's, it's pretty authentic with its translation, yet it marvelously seems to incorporate modern vernacular to really help us grab the ideas Ephesians is one of the most contemporary books. I mean, really, it doesn't need a lot of interpretation, a lot of dissecting and, 
and unfolding. It's very straightforward. Here we go. Chapter 4, verse 17. Are we all good? We all ready? Okay, we've got our notes open on our phones and our Bible open. Is that right? No need to order lunch yet. Uber Eats can wait. Messaging your friends can all wait. Just give me half an hour. You're right, half an hour. Yeah, yeah, half an hour, half an hour. Promise. I mean, the last sermon was crazy long. Sorry, folks. Um, Here we go. Verse 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Please. No, he doesn't say please. This whole passage is filled with imperatives. I think he's lifting his voice. Live no longer as the Gentiles do or unbelievers, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are filled or full of darkness. They wander afar from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts against Him. Talking to Christians in church. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw away your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. (laughs) Is it just me that finds this funny? I'm sorry, Lord. I can't imagine getting up here and doing a sermon one day and rebuking us for telling lies. That's not to say we all tell the truth all the time. Stop telling lies, Paul says. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body, and don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work. And then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul and abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own guaranteeing that you'll be saved in the day of redemption. Here it is. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Lord, thank you for your word. May it come alive and explode in our hearts and shape our decisions and the trajectory of our lives, and in particular, 
our relationships today. In your beautiful name, we all pray. Amen. Today, I want to call this message, Being Renewed. Being Renewed. And you missed a great moment to go, Amen. Being Renewed. Now, let's do a quick little recap because I want to tie in the message to the context of the preceding verses and section and indeed the preceding chapters. So if you remember a few weeks ago now, chapters 1, 2, and 3 through to verse 18, Paul gives us this incredible, beautiful, thoroughly gushy description of the riches that we all have in Christ. He barely takes a breath. His pen, his quill with ink is going crazy. There's very little punctuation, big long sentences as he pours out this riches, the beautiful riches that we have as followers of Christ. He tells us we've been made alive, forgiven. His mercy and his grace has washed us and cleansed us and we're brought near to him and his peace fills our heart and so much more. So much more. It's all there. If you ever want to know what Jesus did for you, just read Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. Incredible. Every word should render us speechless. Then the week after that, verses 19 through 22 and chapter 3, I talked about how God forms everybody, or Paul, God through Paul, talks about how God forms all these human beings into local church communities. Not this ethereal, parachurchy kind of, you know, that church, but never actually belonging anywhere with like real humans. He describes it and he uses the analogy of a temple. Remember that? We've got the foundations of the, the apostles and prophets. In other words, the revelation that they received. And the cornerstone is Christ himself. Remember that story? And then he fits us all together, this kind of analogy of a temple. And then it says, picking on Solomon's temple and the tabernacle, when it's constructed and dedicated and consecrated, the presence of God dwells within. Now in the Old Testament, we had blocks and bricks, but in the New Testament... It's humans. It's us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. Our hearts, the ecclesia. Can everyone say ecclesia? Why do I feel slightly Spanish right now? I don't know. I'm kind of channeling Antonio Banderas. I'm not sure. Ecclesia. Is that Zorro? I'm not sure. Say it one more time. Oh, sounds beautiful. Rolls off the tongue. I love it. And then chapter 14 last week, my friend Johnny Birdwell brought the big one, didn't he? He talked about how we'd receive the gracious, unlimited gifts of God and, and that we understood the desires of God to form people in, in the church. And then he says he expects us to walk in love and unity. Wow, you're going good up to that point, Paul. Now we're getting real. Uh-huh. And guess what? He's been talking about it for 2,000 years. We're just the same as the people in Ephesus people. Our fashions have changed, and they didn't have a cell phone, but we have the same hearts. Now, following all of that, in the text that we had today, Paul basically says two things. What are they, you might ask? To which I'd say, thank you for asking. 
the two things. The first thing is this, stop behaving badly. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop it. <laughs> no, 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 turn to the other neighbor and say, just stop it. Stop being annoying. <laughs> Did you pick up, I mean, if we go back to the New King James, ESV, any of the more, some would argue, more strictly accurate translations, there's imperatives all the way through it. Like the picture of this is like a father getting control of a crazy household of children. Stop it. Just stop that. Stop. Put that down. Come here. He's just like bouncing and banging out all these imperatives to get order in the home. Does any parent know what I'm talking about? Like you might have had that this morning. Get in the car. We're going to church. Where's your shoes and socks? That's right. Paul has got all these imperatives. He's not very nice. He's not saying, would you please prayerfully consider possibly somehow one day. He's saying, stop it. He's saying in one translation, put off and put on. Like, get rid of that childish behavior. You shouldn't be acting like that. Those imperatives are they're, they're, they're peppered all the way through the text. Just like a father. Now, parents, your young ones who don't really have an understanding, they need to have clear boundaries, clear instructions, right? But they do come of an age where really you want them to behave well for the right reasons. Wouldn't that be true? Actually, good parenting doesn't just go for behavioral modification. You're really wanting to get to the heart. You want them to understand that it's not right or pleasing to God to upset their brother or sister or lie or whatever they children do. And so Paul not only gives us imperatives, but he actually gives us the key to behaving well. See, what happens is when we do wrong, and I wonder whether you might have made a mess up this week like me, deed, thought, attitude. When we, when we often do wrong, we'll, we'll say things to ourselves like, I've got to try harder and not try and do that again. Isn't that right? But you do it again and again. And, and again, no, I'm just, I mean, we're getting real right now. Shouldn't look at that, shouldn't say that, shouldn't respond that way. I must try harder. I must really, 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 really try harder. But does that really work? Not really. Behavioral modification, I suggest today, in and of its own doesn't have any lasting effect. It might be necessary immediately for control of the situation, but Paul doesn't just say stop behaving badly, and nor does God. Paul also says stop trying to change yourself. Now, where does Paul say that? Well, it's, it's very subtle. It's very subtle, but it's, it's right there. Paul is saying that it's not up to you to change yourself. Isn't that good? Because your, your, your attempts to change your behavior is not working. The anger is still there. The lust is still there, right? 
the envy, the insecurities, the gossip, the need to tell everybody about everything, whatever, whatever it is, friend, the attitude, the pride, it's still there. At best, we try and cover it. We, we try to kind of like try and keep the beach ball under the tide, and it just has to pop up sometime now and then. Paul is saying, don't try to change yourself because you can't. Now, change and transformation involves you. It needs our cooperation for sure, but the power to change, the power to really change comes from God through the Holy Spirit. Can someone say amen to that? The Spirit of God can take a racist and make them a lover of all peoples. The Spirit of God can take a murderer and make them pen books of the Bible. Stop trying to change yourself. Just surrender to God. Now, I want to show this in the text to you, because basically what we read today, what we've got there is the old man, a description of the old man, and a description of the new man. And right in the middle is this umbilical cord, this bridging verse, which is telling us something. Verse 23, it's right there. It's keeping it in perfect tension. It's the, um, it's the, it's the how would I say, what I wrote in my notes here. It's that conduit. It's the, 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 the jumper leads from the, from, to the good battery to the flat battery. It's verse 23. It says, instead, it's right there. It's the connecting point. Now, what Paul's doing. Now, have you all seen these health documentaries Amazing camera work, amazing CGI work where, where they actually take you into the human body. Have you seen that? And you go flying down an art, artery or through and have a look at an organ. Have anybody seen docos like that, health docos on TV? Is it just me? It's amazing what they can do. They can even go right down to the strand of DNA, right down to the basic building block of the human body. What Paul is doing here. He's taking you to a kind of building block of the human life, of the Christian life, sorry. The key to transformation, the only way that a man or a woman can truly be changed. And it's right there in your text. Verse 23, it says, Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Instead, let's, every one of these words is loaded with meaning and tense and it really will help us today. Not only does he say stop behaving badly, he says stop trying to change yourself. Then what is the solution, Paul? How are you going to help me, Paul? Verse 23 is the DNA. Verse 23 is the key to unlock transformation. Instead, he's saying, we've just talked about the old man, the poor behavior, the bad attitudes. He's saying instead, as an alternative, contrary to what we just talked about, let, I love that, let. In other words, it requires our cooperation. Even God has given us a free will. 
The power of heaven could be available to you for transformation, but we in our pride and stubbornness or for whatever reason can say no. He's saying instead, let. Will you yield? Will you let? Will you allow me to do something in your life, says God? Instead, let the Spirit, the Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, third person but not third in rank, co-equal but one entity, the mystery of the Trinity, it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that does a work on the inside. Religion says try to behave well. Jesus, the Spirit's job description is to glorify Christ, to do a work on the inside of our hearts, that we become new creatures on the inside of our hearts. Is anyone getting excited today? It's a Spirit, and that's why all your religious and human willpower efforts aren't working, because it takes the Spirit to change us. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the work of the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? It renews. Oh, I just got to get up for this one. It, it, re, it renews. Oh, it's not just a dusted version. It's not like you had a shower in the morning. I feel like a new woman. No, I feel like a new man. Renew. You've got to catch this. This is, this is mind-blowing, and I'm not sure I've even got it yet. Here we go. It's saying, are you ready? It's saying to go back before sin, to restore that, once, that which once was. Genesis 1 and 2, perfect unity, peace, tranquility, no sin, no behavior, nothing. Just perfect perfection. Adam and Eve, and then sin entered, and then the whole human race was poisoned and corrupted. And what God's been trying to do since all the other books of the Bible, right up to this very day, and what he's about doing is a great work, it's called biblical theology, if you want to get technical about it, of restoring what, 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 what once was. That's what the Bible's all about. Prophets and kings and judges and, and all these apostles. It's, it's through the ages and it's, it's a beautiful complementary work of a restorative God who's trying to renew his people to get back to the condition before sin entered the human race. That is heaven. So he's God saying, not only can I forgive your sins. Get back on the chair, Richard. Thank you. Okay. Not only can I forgive your sins, but I can renew you. This word is an active verb. It's continual. He's not talking about salvation, friend. These are Christians that were saved in the church in Ephesus. The context of the book is he's talking to Christians. Salvation's just the beginning. It's a continual life of renewal, sanctification, regeneration, and becoming more like Jesus to restore his original plan and intent for your life. Can someone say amen to that? And behavior modification just doesn't cut it. Stop trying. You have permission from the pastor. Stop trying to improve yourself. Just surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. 
and your behavior will automatically change for the right reasons. Paul is saying, you want to become new? You've got to let the Holy Ghost work in your life. Paul is saying there's no other way to go from the old man to the new man. You have to let the Spirit renew you. Oh, your thoughts and your attitudes. You know, every sin is preceded by a thought. Which is why the enemy works so hard to bombard us with thoughts through media, through relentless entertainment, through gossip, through words, thoughts. No one ever fell into sin. They thought about it beforehand. And often, if we're honest, in the cold, brutal light of day, often we choose it. As an escape, we choose it for whatever our motive might be. We know what's going on. And the answer is not just to try harder. Just try, 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 try. No, no, no. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't. The answer is not to do that. What Paul's saying in the text is to let the Spirit renew. Now, when I say something today, I almost was going to call the sermon, it's time to renew. After the season we've gone through, after the years that have gone on, the funky kind of patterns that people have somehow adopted as your lives, I want to say for many of you today, with the most pastoral heart I can muster up, it's time to get renewed. It's time. Willie was right in the spirit when he said a new beginning, a new season is here. And if you look back, for many of us will look back when we first gave our hearts to Christ and we were on fire for Jesus Christ. We were early to church. We were keen to read our Bible. Something has happened. Something has happened. And let's not look back and, and try to overdiagnose and blame. Let's just take responsibility and say, God, I want to become the man or woman of God that you've destined for me to be. I want to be renewed. I want to be back where I was and beyond. I wonder if that's the prayer of your heart today. It's only through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Spirit graciously convicts us, leads us, draws us to Jesus. And when we respond in faith and repent, the Spirit will forgive us. Friend, listen to me. You're not too far from God. I'm talking to Christians. You're not too far for God's hand to reach you today and renew you if you'll surrender and stop trying to fix yourself and say, God, have your way entirely in my life. I love it. Does anybody else love this? Letter from Paul. The Spirit will give us a new heart. A heart of flesh, not of stone. A heart that, that will be after Him. I've had to confess to God, sometimes I don't love you like I know I should. I seemingly love other things more than you, God. Please change the desires of my heart to love you most. I've honestly prayed that prayer. Because I know behavior modification to project the idea of the 
good pastor is not going to do it sincerely and genuinely. It's actually got to be from my heart. And I'm so grateful. I hereby can testify that God will transform a surrendered heart. It's beautiful. And it's available today. He teaches, he counsels, he grows, he heals, and he renews. You know, trying to change your behavior without the Spirit's leading, it's just frustrating. Not to mention, it doesn't work. How do you, how do you know if you're starving the Spirit? How do you know if your Spirit is weakening? Well, this may seem very logical, but the fruit of the Spirit would be diminishing in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, when we are starving the Spirit, we're not drinking from the well of God. When we are filling ourselves with media and pop culture and all other things that seem to get our beautiful affections and we starve the Spirit, we become more irritable. We become more entitled, more, more argumentative, more critical and cynical and impatient and lacking of self-control. You know, there's a story of, a, of two dogs. Let's go with a red dog and a blue dog. And they fight, these two dogs, they fight. The question is, which dog wins the fight? To which the answer would be the dog that you feed the most. It's actually incredibly logical. The area of your life that you attend to the most and feed the most grows strong and becomes robust. The dog who's fed the most will consume, will overcome the other dog. Galatians talks about the flesh and the spirit. The one that you feed and attend to the most will grow in your life. It's what you sow is what you reap. Which one have you been feeding mostly in the last week, the spirit or the flesh. And when you neglect your spirit man, your spirit life, when you neglect the, the work and the presence and the power and cultivating that in your life through, through worship and Bible reading and, and fellowship and, and, and just with God, nature, and just begin to starve. You see, I don't go around rebuking every devil in town. I just starve him out. He can't stay in your life if you don't feed him. I monitor the media I consume. I monitor the social media. I'll let you into a bit of a secret. I unfollow people sometimes. When you neglect your spirit, man, our spiritual lives dry up. They wither up. You know, I was going for a walk around our neighborhood and I saw these beautiful, like, Irish kind of green leaves. This is now probably December there's a number of these trees in our neighborhood and they're, they're luminous, they're beautiful and just striking. And this particular morning, I'm walking around the neighborhood and the sun is piercing through and it really got my attention. I plucked a leaf off and I lay it on my desk in my house and I watched it day after day. I analyzed it, the shape, the vein structure, but I saw it losing its life. It began to crinkle, wither, 
become dry. That's what happens when you aren't connected to the vine of the flow of the Spirit of God. Galatians 5.25 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also keep step in the Spirit. Come on up, band, please. I said that our spiritual lives dry up, our overall well-being plummets, and our eye on the mission drops. We, we become people that are consumed with self when it's all about neglecting our spirit life. But here's something else that Paul's telling us. In fact, this is the main point that he's telling us today. There's one more tragic result of neglected spirits. And that is relationships in church suffer. The reality of God's presence and transforming work in your individual and my individual life is validated, it's proved, it's demonstrated through how I get on with my church family. Did you know that? You can't walk closely with God and have all this offense at other people. Did you know you can't do that? It's a, it's a conundrum. It's an it's a oxymoron. And why is it important? Because the health of church relationships determines the impact of the church. See if you can follow me now. Just imagine if we individually were walking with God all week. Like we are walking close to God. Just, just picture this with me. We're in our word each day. And I'm not talking about religious you know, legalism. I'm just trying to get, get you to understand. Our prayer life was active we're on fellowship. We're sharing Jesus with people that don't know Jesus. We, we love to pray. We love to read our Bible. We're getting discipled. Can you imagine if we all did that and we turned up to church on a Sunday morning, filled with faith, ready to come together? What do you think would be the atmosphere in this room? It would be alive, electric. You see, Christianity is never only an individual faith. It always overflows into the community. When you come in with an attitude or you're just downcast and discouraged and we're glad that you are because a family needs to be open, has people of all conditions coming in. We welcome all people. But I want you to know something, that your countenance, your spirit, your faith contributes to the overall faith of the community. It's like little streams that come into a river. So yes, Christianity is intensely personal, but very, very corporate. And what Paul is saying in the text that we just read, get connected to the Spirit, treat each other well. Because why are you doing relationships right now? It's unacceptable. You're out of the flow of God. And it's really important because this church has got a mission to get on with in the city of Ephesus. Personal faith directly influences corporate power. And rather than wait for other people to get excited about God, why don't you and I step up and take responsibility for that as well? True. Imagine people just rushing to the front rows and filling it from the front. Like, I can't wait to worship Jesus today. And I'm not talking about making this a group. It could be a connect group. Any gathering. My point that I'm trying to make is your individual faith impacts the corporate community.
positively and negatively. And just imagine the Spirit in us overflowing into relationships today. We'd be relationally stronger, spiritually more vibrant, and we would be, have greater, greater missional impact. And how do you reconnect? How do you reconnect to the Spirit? How do we get back into the groove, back into that place? It's simple. Surrender. Just begin to play something behind me, team, if you would. Surrender. Renewal follows genuine surrender. All God needs, all God has ever needed is our surrender. He does all the heavy lifting. He just wants a responsive, receiving person. Say, God, help me. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. It struck me as I prepared today the the first song, Graves to Gardens, Seas to Highways. The lyric is filled with renewal. The song is filled with renewal. Now, I want us to have a church family moment. If we could just close our eyes, please close your eyes. And I feel in God to do this. I specifically want to talk to my brothers. I want to talk to the men. I feel in this moment that God wants me to have the men lead in this response today. If you want to be renewed, sir, brother, if you are not in right relationship with God and you want to come back into right right relationship with God, you want to plug back into Him, you've you've drifted, you've allowed things to take shape and you've even seen in your own behavior and decision-making and choices, it's just become kind of worldly and it's not been pleasing to the Lord. I want you to know the grace and the goodness of God God is here to respond to a repentant heart, to a contrite heart. So if you want to be renewed, in your spirit today. Young man, if you want to be renewed in your spirit today, I want to invite you to come down to the altar right here this morning. Now, there's nothing magical about this space, but what it is, it's about a decision. It's about a prophetic act. It's about you not just keeping it deep and personal and private, but actually saying, no, I'm humbling myself. And I'm desperate for change. And I can't change me, but I know God can change me. So brother, if that's you, please just begin to move even right now. Now is your opportunity. Now is a moment to come forward and say, Pastor, that's me. I'd love to pray with you, but I want you also to have a moment with God. That's you, sir. Please come. Don't wait, men. This is your opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is a moment for men. I don't matter, it doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. I don't care about your position in the church. If you're a man and you're not right with God and you want to be made right with God, If you want to be renewed in your spirit, sir, this is your moment. 
please come. It's not too late. It's not too late. Come. Come, brother, come. Ladies, you'll get your opportunity soon. I want the men to lead on this one. Okay, ladies, if you'd like to join us, any ladies out there, any young, any of the, the, the ladies, the girls want to come on out, please come. We'd love for you to participate. Any woman would love to come forward. You know in your heart and spirit you want to be renewed. You need to be renewed. If you'd like to come forward, we'd love to have you. Please, thank you. Anybody else, just come and join us down the front. Thank you, Willie and team. We're just going to lift our voices in song. Thank you for joining us. To know more about Every Nation Auckland City, you can visit our website, www.everynationauckland.city. For more messages like this, you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.